Okay, Joshua 7. Uh, the Israelites have gone through, they're in the promised land. Uh, they've gone through the, the uh, Jericho. God's done a miraculous work there. All the people of, the, uh, of Canaan are absolutely terrified of them. They've heard this story of, crossing the, of the release of captivity from Egypt, of crossing the, Jer- uh, the, Jer- uh, the Jordan. Uh, they've heard, obviously, the story of Jericho. I mean, these things are just adding on top of each other to create this overwhelming fear of them uh, in the promised land that kind of God's using to prepare their way um, so people really can't stand up against them much at all. So that's where we are when we pick up uh, chapter 7. So let me read a chunk of it, uh, and then we'll and then we'll talk about it. I may just read the whole thing. Um, this, this is what the Bible says. Joshua 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Let me, let me just recap, though, right here. The devoted, if you remember chapter 6, God said, of all things uh, from Jericho, they're all dedicated to me. And by that, he meant they had to be destroyed, except for those things of gold and silver and and iron, those things that couldn't be destroyed by fire. Those are to be taken and and used and put away as devoted things unto the Lord, like the people weren't supposed to keep anything. So that was the command. And that's what verse seven or chapter seven, verse one is referring to. They acted unfaithfully in regard to some of those devoted things that should have been given to the Lord and not kept for themselves. Uh, typical uh, Hebrew fashion, there's an overarching statement and then the details of it. So the overarching statement is that the Israelites acted unfaithfully regarding the, the, the devoted things. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now the details of that. So now Joshua sent from uh, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which was near Beth Avon to the east of Bethel. And told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to to Joshua, they said, not all of the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men and take it and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. When Josh, uh, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out your and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, and they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turned their backs 
and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. That is what I have done. Or, or this is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, uh, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia... 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the gold, uh, the robe, the gold wedge, and his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after uh, they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Achor, ever, has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. All right. <laughs> what do you notice? Harsh consequences. Harsh consequences, certainly. God notices things. God Nobody notices things. God. He saw that, he did that. God you know, notices things. Yeah. He, he yeah. Punished them for it. They followed their own pattern. They didn't ask God's guidance and attacking AI. Yeah. They not only exactly. Punished him, but his whole family. Punished him and his whole family. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. One of the things that I see right up front is exactly what you said, Jim. Uh, verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to AI. And he said, go spy out the region. So the men went and spied it out. Um, he ne- this is the only place where we see Joshua giving instruction of what to do without ever consulting the Lord. He didn't pray about it. He didn't ask wisdom about it. God never told him. What did he figure? 
He figured, well, this is what God's done in the past. We go up against the city. God says, okay, go spy it out. Come back, bring a report. And then we go take it. And so he just assumed that God would do this time exactly what God would do the last time in the exact way that God did it last time. One of the things that we are learning is that um, God's pretty creative. Uh, and, and so he doesn't necessarily do the same things over and over and over. He changes it up a little bit. And unless we're in constant communication with God, we're not aware of how he's working and what he wants done. And, and, and when, when we go out on our own without the direction of the Holy Spirit, it usually doesn't go very well, right? Even if, but I'm doing right. But this is how, but I shouldn't have to ask God about this one. This is obvious. Um, we must constantly seek God in prayer and in his word. Uh, th- those are the avenues through which God speaks, through prayer and his word. Uh, and if we as his people are not constantly in prayer and in his word, it's real hard to hear his voice. And if we don't hear his voice, we end up just doing what we think we ought to be doing. Uh, and I don't know about you, but um, when I do what I think I ought to be doing without any uh, consult from God, I'm usually wrong. Usually. And so this is the one, one time when he, he, didn't, he didn't consult God at all. Um, and it's just not good. Uh, AI, when Josh sent men from Jericho to AI, we don't know what AI is. It, it's probably not the name of the town. Um, it, what, what AI means is ruins. Um, but it was a city near Beth-Avon. Uh, but but it, everybody probably agrees it wasn't it wasn't AI. It it's used uh, to communicate that that it is ruinous uh, and to set forth on a track without God's direction is ruinous. Um, so go up and spout the land. So the minute spout out AI. When they returned, Joshua said to them, or they said to Joshua. Not all the people have to go up against AI. This is verse 3. Send two or 3,000 men and take it. And don't wear all the people. There's only a few men there. So the population, I don't know, maybe five, 6,000 people, um, uh, adults. And so at most, maybe 3,000 fighting men. Uh, and so they look at, at, at what their AI, this place, they only have a few thousand fighting men. Look at what we just did in Jericho. I mean, we destroyed them, and it was a massively fortified city. AI didn't even really have a wall around. I mean, it's nothing. So not only do we not need to talk to God about what we're supposed to do, we really don't even need him to intervene. We got this one ourselves. Right? Um. And so they say, send about 3,000 men. That's about all we're going to face. Uh, we, we can't be tough. Yet, hubris has a, a wonderful way of uh, exposing our own uh, frailty and um, getting us into some trouble. And they're leading from their pride. They're leading from their arrogance and leading off the successes of God in the past, thinking it was their own success in the present. Uh, and it's going to get them into trouble. So 3,000 men, verse 4, went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, 
who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. So 3,000 men go out to fight 3,000. Um, in, in, in any battle scenario, this is, this is what, about 1%? What, by any stretch of the imagination in a war scenario, that's not a bad ratio of casualties. No. That's not bad at all. But given the type of fighting they were doing, which was all hand-to-hand combat, to have 36 killed, the implication is none of the other army were killed. And so they, the, the men of A are unscathed, and all of a sudden the people... Um, uh, the, 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 the Israelites are looking around thinking, okay, wait, we're dying. We were unscathed in Jericho. We destroyed that city. Now it seems the roles are reversed. And even though 1% would be an acceptable rate of casualty in a war, um, something happened in them. And they suddenly start realizing um, we probably shouldn't be here and the tide has turned. Have, have you ever been in the middle of something and it starts falling apart and you start thinking, what has just happened? I, I, something has changed. Uh, where the calls are always in my favor and now they're, now they're all stacked against me. That, that, that's what they thought. So at this, at the change of circumstances, the change of events, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Um, what had the hearts of all of the people of Canaan become before this? Fearful. They melted and became like water. How much what Rahab told them when the spies went and, 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 and spied out and was talking to her. They said, we've heard what you've done. A great fear has gr- gripped us. We don't want any part of you. So, up until this point, all the enemies around them wanted no part of it. They knew that their, Israel's God was with them and was mighty. They didn't want any part of that. But now, this little army starts attacking uh, and fighting and kills 36 men. And all of a sudden, the Israelites' hearts melt with fear and become like water. The, the, the thing completely reverses. It completely reverses. What's the problem with that? Not trusting God. Not asking God. No, no, no. What, what's the problem with, with, with the people's heart melting and becoming like water? There's no faith. Well, you guys are talking about why that happened. What's the problem with that happening? Weak. They're weak, and it means that everybody around them what? Knows it. Knows it. it. And they have switched. They were once fearful. And didn't want to fight. Now, those roles are switched. Now, Israel's fearful. What do you think that does to all the enemies around them? They emboldens them. They're, yeah, they're, they're courageous now. I mean, it's no problem. I mean, once someone kills the first giant, nobody's afraid of giants anymore. Right? 
And so now their hearts have become like water. They're so fearful. So they know. I mean, in my world of football, momentum is everything. Right? All you got to do is make one play. Momentum shifts. Games hinge on momentum. So they don't have it now and all their enemies do. And, and, and so because of the, not just because 36 of their men have died, not just because they didn't conquer air when they should have the first time, but because their hearts, the, all the people's hearts have melted and become like water, everybody around them was like, well, heck, we got nothing to fear now. I mean, this was a big deal. And because of that, Verse 6, Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. This was the sign of mourning uh, and weeping and imploring God, what is going on? And they have no idea. Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan and deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Here's something that we have to understand. Self-pity will always make us question God's character. Self-pity will always make us question God's character. When this does not go right for me, my first response usually is, I will call into question God's character. Don't you love me? Aren't you watching out for me? Did you stop answering prayer? Are you hiding somewhere? Are you making me jump through certain hoops so that you will respond? Those are all calling into question the character of God. Because the character of God is one who listens, is one who intervenes, is one who is one who walks with us, is not one who makes us jump through hoops and perform, perform like a good little puppy so that he'll be happy with us. But when stuff starts happening, self-pity, and that's what this is, and that's where every one of us gets to, it always makes us question the character of God, and we've got to be very, very careful about this. And that's exactly what happens to Joshua. This has gone horribly wrong. Why did you deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Does that sound like God's character to take his people and pretend like he loves them and pretend like he's going to care for them and then serve them up on a platter? Is that God's character? Okay, now remember that next time we go through bad stuff. Like that's not. <laughs> How many of us have said, God has always showed up in the past, and then we get to the present problem, we think, oh my gosh, I don't know if he's going to do it again. One, that calls in the question the very character of God. It holds God in contempt, two, and three, it's a clear sign that we're wallowing in our own self-pity. And it's not uncommon because a great man like Joshua did. Then he says, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. He is on some thin ice right here. He's on some thin ice. There was a group of people that said this about a generation earlier in Numbers chapter 14. 
And in Numbers chapter 14, uh, Numbers 14, the very first of that chapter, verse 1, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites who grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? He's, he's in some real dangerous ground. The, a generation said this earlier, and then they all died in the desert. You know, <laughs> I'm sure thankful that God's mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3. Because if I were God, I would get pretty tired of people continuing to question my character. Have, have you ever been in one of those personal situations where a dear friend, loved one, family member, something, has heard something about you that is so far out of your character, but they start to believe it anyway? Have you, have you ever been there? And, and, and when you're in that situation and you're like, how, how could you hear something that is so far out of my character and automatically start believing that about me? You know me. Right? Imagine how God feels. Like, like if, if someone says something about, about my if someone says something to me about Jim, that I, I know Jim. And, and when, if I were to hear something that someone would say that Jim did, said, believed, whatever, that was so far out of his character that I know of him, my first response would not be to believe what I've heard. My first response would be to draw on what I know of Jim's character. And I just wonder how often God's like, how... I've given you this Bible that all this does is tell you about my character. You have your own relation, your own story. Like, why would you start to doubt my character? That's why I'm so glad his mercies are new every morning because Joshua's on some dangerous ground right here. Verse 8, Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and all the other people of the country. When I was asking you, what's the result of that flip? Here it is. The Canaanites and all the other people of the country will hear about this and they will what? It has flipped. Surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? He said, because of what's happened, the, it, the, the tables have turned. Not only... Well, all the people of the surrounding country be emboldened to come out and fight against us. They're going to wipe us out. But here's the difference between, between Numbers 14 and a generation prior and Joshua. He is concerned about themselves, but he's also concerned about God's reputation. They will wipe out our name from the earth. And then he says this, and this is the key. What then will you do for your own great name? He says, this is a lot more than about us. Because in these days, a name was much more than an identifier. A name 
was the um, identification of the power and authority character of the individual. And so a name wasn't just the indicator, it was the representation of. And what Joshua is saying here is if, if, if you've turned your back on us, God, and we're wiped out, yeah, we're wiped out, but your reputation suffers. Because we're supposed to be under your covering and your umbrella. And if you're not powerful enough to protect us, we'll be hurt by it. But what's that ultimately say about you? Do you understand that? And, and so he really does have a care and a concern for God's reputation. But please understand, when we are in our own moments of AI, destruction, and we start to call into question the character of God, um, what it is that we're doing is trampling on uh, his name, his reputation, his character, his identity. Everything that is God, we start trampling on. We start calling into question his character. Um, and so Josh says, look, God, you got to do something. I don't know why this happened. You got to do something. And I, lo- I love the way the Lord responds. Lord said, Joshua, get up. Stand. Why are you laying down? Stand up. What are you doing on, down on your face? He said, look, the time for prayer has passed. Now you're going to come worship me? You should have done that before you went to AI. Get up. Now you've got to act. Now you've got to be a leader. Now you've got to do something. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. Now remember, Israel and God had entered into a covenant relationship. And God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to give you this covenant. You're going to obey it. I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm not going to violate the covenant, so don't you violate the covenant. That's what he told them. So now he says, they violated my covenant. There's a commandment they keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is, uh, is devoted to destruction. Um, Joshua should have known uh, that their defeat was not because God was fickle. Joshua should have known that their defeat was not because God had changed his mind. He should have known that, right? Because a fickle God is not the character of God. God says, I don't change. I, I, I'm saying uh, yesterday, today, tomorrow. I don't change with the shifting, you know, sand, season, suns, leaves. I, I don't change. Seasons change, I do not. Joshua should have known. When he says back here, why did in verse, in, in verse 7, why did you bring us across the Jordan to deliver the sands of the Amorites? He, he should have known. Why? Well, God didn't. That doesn't make sense. What happened at AI does not make sense with the character of God and what I know God has said. So something must be going on that I don't understand. It's not God's character to sell us down a river. 
Um, and so God finally reveals, okay, this is what's going down. I ask that certain things be devoted to me and someone among you has violated my command. And then he says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Remember his first words to Joshua and Joshua 1? Don't let this book of the law, this covenant I have with you, depart from you. Don't turn to it from the right or to the left. Then I'll be with you and you'll be successful wherever you go. Like He's like, you got to stay with me. Uh, and if you don't stay with me, I will not honor you. And the only reason the people have honored you because they know I am with you. And if you as a representative of these people let this thing go unchecked, my hand's off you. And I will not stay with you. Uh, and so he tells them, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Um, when God says, go consecrate the people and tell them, consecrate yourselves. He, he's, he's talking about, go make sure those people don't have anything hidden uh, between their hearts and me. Make sure they're right with me. Um, there are many who have, who, have, who have looked at this passage of Scripture here and says, you've got to keep yourself pure. And if there's anything impure in you, you're done. God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's a pretty tough reading of this. Because who among us is pure? Who among us at any given day doesn't have something that, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. So the part of consecration is just not the ongoing um, keeping rid of the things that we know we should not um, keep in us and on us. But it's also just this ongoing um, lifestyle of repentance. It's just an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. Not purity as in perfection, but purity as in repentance. Uh, and that's why God says then, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. What, what, what is the act of the removal of that which is um, impure? It's repentance. It, it's when we realize something in us is impure, is, is, is contrary to God's standard, contrary to God, and we remove that. It's Repentance. So as long as we stay in, the, in that attitude of repentance, we're good. But it's those times when, when we know something's wrong and we don't care and we live in that without repenting that God says, look, I can't do anything with you right now. You need to repent. That's in what we're talking about in a minute. But, but who's held responsible for the sin of the individual. Say that again. Who's held responsible for the sin of the individual? Whatever we don't know who the individual is yet, but who's held responsible? Israel. Here is all of Israel. What's that? In this 
case, I think it's all of Israel. Says yeah, it's Joshua and the whole nation. It's Joshua and the whole nation. Um, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but at this point, it looks like a little bit of sin in one, devastating effects on everybody. Uh, and God holds the leader responsible. Verse 14, in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. The family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant and the Lord has done, uh, he, he has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Sheesh. Wonder what would have happened had the man who was guilty come forward and repented before that all that had to go down. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. It's amazing to me um, how much they all just trusted that this process would work. <laughs> like, we're going to come forward. God's going to make it obvious. And they're like, okay. <laughs> uh, when Joshua tells him, my son, it's, it's give glory to the Lord, give him praise. Um, he's telling him, tell the truth and confess. It is, it glorifies the Lord when we treat him as the God of truth. Uh, and we stand in praise of God when we make confession to him. And that's what he's saying. He's saying God is a God of truth, so speak it and praise him uh, by confession of what you've done. Tell him what you've done. Don't hide it anymore. Uh, uh, apparently, Achan would not have ever repented had he not been called out. Doesn't sound like it. So Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, this is what I have done. I want you to notice this. When I saw, if you're taking notes, circle that one. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted, circle that one. I coveted them and the next step after coveting is action. I took them. Circle that one. They are hidden, circle that, in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. When I saw the plunder, in the plunder, the beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, shekels, I coveted them and I took them and I hid them. Here's what we've got to understand. Coveting 
is usually always the beginning of sinful activity. Coveting is usually always the beginning of sinful activity. Um, we see something we don't have. We see something we want. We see something we think we deserve. We see something that's common for everybody else. We covet it because we don't have it. Coveting, if we let that stay in our heart, it usually does not go away. And it leads us to actions. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Uh, Exodus 20 is, lists the Ten Commandments. Verse 17, the last of the Ten Commandments is what? It's a good guess based on what we're talking about, huh? <laughs> it is. Do not covet. Don't covet your neighbor's anything. I mean, there's a whole list of what not to covet, but um, don't covet. Because the moment you start letting your eyes see something that you don't have and not being content with what God has given, the great tendency is that causes your hands to do stuff. Uh, And God's really serious about that. Honestly, this goes back to the Garden of Eden. Look at all those trees you could eat from. And the devil drew her attention to the two trees she couldn't eat from and the fruit that she wasn't allowed to have. And she coveted it in her heart. The devil drew her attention to the position she didn't have when he said, but God knows if you have your eyes will be open, you'll be like him. Because right now you're not all you could be. Uh, And she coveted that and it led her to uh, and led Adam to. And so we've got to be really careful with what we let our eyes see and what we let live in our hearts. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so pervasive and it's so easy. Um, I'll, I'll just talk in the world of pastors. I, I took a bunch of, a bunch of you know, planters and young pastors to this event in Phoenix and we were at this church and this church is a great church. They, they're, they're kind of a lobby area. It, I mean, it's Phoenix, and so you don't really ever have bad weather unless it's just too warm, you know. But they have these beautiful glass, huge industrial garage doors that roll up, mm. and the whole thing's open air, and this beautiful stamped concrete, and just it's gorgeous, and 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 it's so fun. I mean, I used to be like this when I was young in ministry, but all these young kids, they're like, "Wow, this is amazing! I wish we could. I wish I had. I, this is this is. I, I, you know, I wonder how long God's going to make me wait till I get. Yeah, and was everything was about how beautiful this thing was. I, I gathered them around. I said, "Isn't this this is beautiful? Isn't it?" They're like, "Oh, this is amazing! I wonder. Wow, I wish I had." I said, "Listen." Be careful because what you're engaging in right now is ecclesiastical pornography. (laughs) And they're like, what? (laughs) So think about this. Ecclesiology is the the study of the church. Ecclesia. 
ecclesi- ecclesiastical, that like this church study, pornography is desiring something that isn't yours because what you have isn't, you want something different. And I told him, I said, the tendency in pastors is to pretend like we're really righteous and have a heart of covetousness and engage in ecclesiastical pornography every time we see another bride that isn't as pretty as our bride. Right? Mm -hmm. So how could admiring a church be sin (laughs) when it's done with a covetous attitude? It's so pervasive and it's so sneaky. And we got to be very careful. And the one way that we're in tune to this infecting us is by doing what they didn't do at the beginning of this. Communication and time with God in prayer and his word. The interesting thing in, in, in my mind with Achan in verse 21, when I saw the plunder, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful role for Babylonia, God never called it plunder. He said, everything there is mine and it's to be dedicated and consecrated to me. I own it. He viewed it as plunder. What's plunder? Plunder is the leftovers that I have a right to. In war, that's what plunder is. Everybody's got a right to it. You see it, you get it. He, he, he never viewed things through the eyes of God. And it got him into real trouble. So Joshua, verse 22, sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in, this, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. Why would he put the silver underneath everything else? Think about it. Think about it. So, more than gold? Well, the gold was worth less than the value of the silver that I thought he said. No. 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 Think about it. So, if I I have all these items, I bury them. I got the robe. I got some other stuff. I got the gold and and then the silver underneath. If, If someone's digging it up, like, hey, we found a robe. Hey, we found an iPhone. Hey, we found the gold. If, the, if it increases in value as you go, once you find the gold, are you going to look for anything else? No. <laughs> so he put the silver underneath, hoping that if they do find it, they find the gold and stop. Because who's going to bury something less valuable underneath something that's more valuable? Right? Pretty smart and conniving and deceitful, right? That's why he puts the silver underneath. I mean, to the last moment. This guy. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold, the wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on whom? <clears throat> Us. The Lord will be in trouble on you this day. Now, just consider for a moment. The command was 
from God to destroy Achan and all his everything. And it lists the silver, the robe, the gold, his son's daughters. What's not listed? His wife. His wife. So he probably wasn't married. She probably died at some point because otherwise she would have been destroyed too. Um, so just don't miss the little things. But what's it say? And his cattle, donkeys, and sheep. This guy was wealthy. This guy had plenty. He did not need a robe. He did not need the silver. He did not need the gold. He had all this stuff. He was already wealthy, but he was greedy. If his wife was there, she would have stopped. <laughs> if his wife was there, maybe so. Um, however, read Acts 5. We'll get there. Um, but isn't this the way it is, though? No matter how much we have, we want a little bit more. Now, it doesn't matter how much we have. Unless we're careful. Unless we're submitted. Unless we recognize and call out God's favor for what it is and content with what he's done. No matter what we have, we want more. It's so good. God, be so careful. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the, the rest, they buried them. Over Achan, they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Once things were made right, and granted, this case is pretty brutal. But once things are made right, God turns from his anger. So thankfully, when we engage in sin, it's not a matter of, you know, dying, you're being stoned in the moment. But we got to make things right with God. And how do we make things right with God? Repent. Let's repent. All through the Bible, God says, my punishment has come upon you because you wouldn't turn from your sin. Turn from your sin and I'll relent. All through the Bible. The best way to reverse consequences of sin, either to have God completely wipe out consequences or limit consequences, or give her the strength to live through the consequences, the, the one way to, to reverse whatever those consequences are is repentance. It starts with repentance. God never says, because you have... I mean, after we come to him in, 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 in faith, God doesn't say, because you blew it, I'm going to. God took all of the condona- our condemnation and put it on Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, now therefore there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ. Because he took all of our condemnation and put it on Christ on the cross. So, so when we do sin, God doesn't come to us and say, because you, I'm going to He already did that to Christ. But there's natural consequences that we experience. And the way God... The, we put ourselves in a position... To allow God to relieve even natural consequences by our repentance. And he may choose to relieve all of it. 
He may choose to lessen it or he may choose to give us the strength to live through it without it crushing us. But he does that based off our on our repentance. And when we repent, we say, God, you know, I, I repent, I'll change. And then I will accept whatever your mercy and grace allows. I mean, I'm thankful that we don't have to be stoned for our sin. But we do have to be made right with God. And that starts with repentance. I was talking with a young man a few months ago, and he really wanted to go into ministry. Uh, he's living with a girlfriend. And I said, I know you love Jesus, and I know God's called you into ministry, but he's not going to use you because you have ongoing sin you need to repent of. The young guy, strapping stud. <laughs> Why would he want to miss out on all that good fun stuff? <laughs> And so he said, you're right. We prayed. He kicked her out. <laughs> it was awesome. And God's doing incredible stuff. But, but there's that issue of repentance. I, I don't care whatever else you want God to do. If there's something that has been unrepentant, you're not going to do it. Not because he's mean. And, and, and again, we, if you, God, if you want to be gracious to me and merciful, I'll take it all. I'll take it. I'll take whatever your mercy and grace allows. But I got to know, too, that there's, I have to live in this, this lifestyle of repentance. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Acor ever since. Now, here, here's one thing I want to point out. Um, Achan sinned. One man sinned. And who suffered? Who, who bore the consequences of it? All those people. Everybody. Um, and, and some will preach this and say, you can't allow any sin in your church. Here, pastors say this all the time. You cannot allow any sin in your church because one man's sin ruins the whole community. I mean, it did for them, right? Um, and it seems to be that's the way God worked. Um, and, 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 and tell... Um, we read Ezekiel 18, 19, and 20 that says, No longer will the son die for the sin of the father, nor the father the sin of the son. Each will die for their own sin. So don't use that proverb anymore, the Bible says, that someone eats sour grapes and another's teeth set on edge. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. Each will die for their own sin. So you, mar- you match this with, with Acts 5. Acts 5 is the story of two people. Do you remember what that is in the beginning of Acts 5? Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. The new church is just getting going. Jesus has ascended. And everybody, the end of, of chapter 4 says that everybody shared their possessions, sold their possessions, and shared with anybody who had need. It was fantastic. It was not socialism or communism because it was their own private property that they chose to sell and chose to donate. Um, very much different than those modern uh, ideologies of socialism and communism. Uh, and so chapter 5 starts with uh, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And they see everybody being generous and everybody selling possessions and everybody like, hey, look at And everybody's getting a ton of props for their generosity. They sell some property and they give some to the church and they act like they gave it all. Right? Yep. And then Peter finds out and he has a 
conversation with Ananias. And what's he tell Ananias? He asked him a question first. What was the price of the real estate they sold? Yeah, what's the price now? Did you give it all? And Ananias says, yes. Yep, gave it all. <laughs> and he says, uh, Wrong answer. Those guys standing right there are going to bury you. And he falls over dead. Did the whole community suffer? No. Just Ananias. But he was married to a gal named Sapphira. So Sapphira comes in, unbeknownst that her husband had just been buried, and Peter asked her, What? Did you give it all? Yep. How much self for did you give it all? And she says, Yep, my husband and I. And he says, Wrong answer. Those guys that just buried your husband, guess what? I'm going to bury you too. She fell over dead. At one time, um, one man would bear the responsibility and suffer for, uh, for another sin. Um, and that happened with Jesus on a cross. Uh, and after that happened, each will die for their own. Uh, and, 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 and the Bible's pretty clear about that. Um, Jesus took on the guilt for the community. Uh, and now everyone gets to, for themselves, make their own decision um, for judgment or for eternal life. Um, and so the good news of chapter seven is that we don't live in that day anymore, right? We live in the time of repentance because Jesus has absorbed the sin of the world. Now I stand before God based on me and him. And I can stand before him based on me and him because I got the blood of Jesus has covered me and forgiven my sin. And I live a lifestyle of repentance. Um, and that's good news. So that's Joshua 7. There's great warning there. Little sin can mess up in big ways. Right? So stay repentant. Stay repentant. And when we are repentant, God does amazing things of restoration and renewal and rebirth. But we've got to stay repentant. Got it? All right. Any questions, cries, shouts of outrage? No? Richard, your Bible says the same thing? Oh, no. <laughs> no, in fact, I didn't.